Well, so good to be with you guys this morning, Blue Water. I've missed you over the last couple of weeks. So good to see this room so full and not in pods, but in rows. Isn't that a glorious thing? Um, Excited to continue in our Hebrew series with you guys. Today, we're getting close to the end, aren't we? After almost two years in Hebrews, hopefully we know this great book very well. Uh, We're in chapter 13 today. Doing verses 7 to 10, and I'm excited because I believe, as every time we open his word, that God really has something for us this morning in this text. It's a great one. Uh, And we're talking about change. We're talking about change. It's been said that the only constant in life is change. (laughs) And yet we really struggle with it because we like to know what's coming. We like to know what to expect. We like predictable, right? And most things aren't really trustworthy because they change. Even when you hear a great offer, uh, it may say in the fine print, hey, all prices, dates, times, all subject to change. And it makes it hard to get excited about that thing. There's very few things, in fact, that don't change. I thought of a few. Maybe your morning coffee routine, that is unchangeable for you. Maybe the side of the bed you sleep on, until you get married, that is unchanging. Or if you're a Leafs fan like me, sadness, searching for answers every spring, that is without change. But most things do in our life, and yet our text would say, despite all of the things that change around us, Jesus doesn't. He doesn't, and there's great comfort to be found in that truth. And so we're gonna read together. Hopefully you have your own copy of God's word. We say it all the time, but it's so important to see if this is actually what it says or if I'm just up here making things up. Chapter 13, verse seven. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Okay, some pretty cool stuff there. The first section says, remember your leaders. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. So who is that for this original audience? It may be their present leaders. Certainly all we're gonna talk about applies to present leaders, but more likely he's talking about former leaders, pastors, teachers, elders, spiritual role models that were the first to bring the word to them, to share the gospel. And likely based on the language, it implies that they're no longer with them, maybe no longer living maybe with Jesus, okay? So we can think too, who is that for us, right? First this was to them, but also for us, who are those who first shared with us the word of God? Maybe if you're a new believer, that is your present leaders in this church, uh, or you have a current spiritual role model in your life who was that person, but maybe it's a former pastor, Maybe it's a youth leader from 30 years ago. Maybe it's a a spiritual role model in your family who was the first person to share with you the word of God in that way. It's saying call them to mind. Remember those people. Remember their faith. And then it gives two instructions. First is consider the outcome of their way of life. And the word in Greek there for outcome is more like the end. Consider the end of that way of life, even end implying up to death. Even up into death, consider the way that they did their life and their faith. 
So what is the outcome of a way of life lived for the Lord? Well, salvation, <laughs> it's a biggie. Eternity with Jesus, hopefully uh, fruit and service to him, hopefully godly character that's increasing as time goes on, a lot of changed lives maybe around this person as a result of their, of their witness, all kinds of stuff like that are the outcome of a way of life like that. And maybe nothing makes us consider the outcome of someone's way of life more than a funeral or a memorial, this type of thing. And I've realized there's a big difference between being at a funeral for someone who has an outcome of a way of life worth considering like this, who's known, served, and loved Jesus, and someone who has lived with a different outcome in mind. For me, some of these people that I would remember that are heroes of the faith to me are my grandparents, some of which are now with Jesus, and there is a joy in being at a funeral like theirs to hear the outcome of a way of life lived for the Lord which is different than the outcome that I've heard at other funerals of family members who, it says things like, they love the weather channel, they love a stiff drink. That's a different type of feeling hearing those things. I've shared this story before, so I apologize, but I'm gonna do it anyway now. Um, there was a few years ago, uh, Bethany and I had a chance to, uh, for part of a youth conference, to visit uh, Columbine High School in Colorado, which is, probably cues in your mind, the, one of the most infamous shootings in, uh, in, in a school in, in U.S. history, where 13 people were killed by two students that went on a shooting rampage. Um, and it was a very sobering thing to be there, but it was a very interesting thing as well, because behind the school, they have this huge memorial, it's quite a nice thing, uh, for each of these 13 individuals, and there's a big write-up in stone for each person that was killed. And it says all kinds of things about them and about their life. And some of these things are like, this person loved cheerleading, this person just loved their friends, this guy was a class clown, this guy loved fishing with his dad. All great things, different types of outcomes, but there was a few students in particular who were really on fire for Jesus who were killed in this incident. And reading theirs and hearing like their love for the Lord, their desire to always be sharing about him with their fellow students and see their school impacted, and even up into death, because some of these students were killed because they claimed to be Christians up into a final moment. And something about reading that made me be like, I want that for me. Like that is an outcome of a way of life worth imitating. And it's something to think about even as we approach death in a godly way, that part of life. In the last number of years, we've had some people here in this church who are much, much loved, core people at Blue Water for many, many years, go to be with Jesus and shown us even how to die well. That's a thing. Not kicking and screaming, but with great humility, with courage, and with hope. In Christ, it's a testimony to their faith, an outcome of a way of life worth imitating even up into death, and since we're all going to face that, that's worth thinking about as well for each of us. So it says, consider the outcome of the way of life, and then it says, imitate their faith. What does it mean to imitate someone's faith? Doesn't that sound kinda weird? Aren't we supposed to just imitate Jesus? Like, why would I follow a person? But Apostle Paul would say, we should be imitators of me, he says, as I am of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11. Follow me as I follow him, right? Uh, John Owen would say, we are not to follow mere men, not even the best of men, 
as our model and example in all things is Christ alone, but we can learn to emulate Christian graces where we see them displayed in Christian leaders. Meaning we only worship, follow, serve Jesus, but we can be encouraged in our faith and kind of spurred on when we see other humans like ourselves following him well, right? Who may be further down the road in it than we are. And to imitate their faith means to do what they do, right? We can't expect an outcome of, of life like theirs, live for the Lord, if we're not willing to make the same choices, make the same sacrifices, but a lot of times we don't wanna do that. We see people you know, thriving in something and we think, that's awesome, I want that. And then we find out what it takes and we're like, okay, I'm good, right? You may know uh, one of my youth leaders, Daryl Campbell, is like the picture of fitness. Okay, we're not convinced he's human. It's like he was carved from a marble slab. And you ask Daryl, how are you this way? And you realize that last year, he biked 8,000 kilometers. That's obscene. As soon as I hear that, I think, I guess that will never be me. That is, this doesn't seem possible. And even the fact that I'm saying this out loud, guys, is risky because he might ask me to bike now. I'm risking it all for you. He does these things. I don't want to do those things. And so I shouldn't be expected to have the same outcome of his way of life if I'm not willing to make the same choices. And these leaders who we may look up to with this life of faith, it comes from an obedience to and a communion with Christ that's over a lifetime. And so we have to decide, am I going to imitate that or am I gonna say, wow, and turn and go my own way? It's important to think about. So what's this connection to change? You said it was about change. Well, if we look at verse eight, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the connection is, these people you can remember, their faith is in the same Jesus that you believe in. The same Jesus, is, is their Jesus is your Jesus. The same power that was on display in their lives of his is the same power that we can see at work in our life. Right, the same intimacy that they had with him is the same that's available to us if we will pursue him. And while they may no longer be here, he is unchanging and constant. That's our connection. Same yesterday, today, and forever. Back in Hebrews 1 even, our author would say, the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Or you'll see on the screen, Malachi chapter three, God speaking, keeps it pretty simple. I am the Lord, I do not change. This idea is all through scripture that God is unchanging. Or in fancy theological words, we say this speaks to his immutability. Immutability. Meaning that God is unchanging in his being, in his perfections, in his purposes, and promises. You'll see that on the screen. That doesn't mean that he can't you know, act in different ways or relate to us in different ways, but in his being, in his very nature, he is unchanging. That's of God. Now we can also remember that the sameness of Jesus is the sameness of God. Because we know, as scripture would say, again, Hebrews, even chapter one of Hebrews says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature, right? He is unchanging as well. Doesn't mean he's inactive, doesn't mean he can't move or he's paralyzed in any way, but in his being, he is unchanging. And when we think he's changing, it's us that's changing. 
because we change a lot. It's kind of like when you're here on Earth and we look at the sun, we might say, wow, look at the sun, always moving, always changing. Look, it's coming up, it's going to bed, as my kids say, it's setting over there, that's beautiful. Sometimes it looks like this, sometimes it looks like that, kind of moving in a different shape pattern time, uh, based on the time of year and all these things it can seem like the sun is doing a lot of changing. That's our perspective. We know, though, it's the Earth that's tilted and spinning really fast and moving in orbit around the sun. And so we're doing all the changing, but from our limited viewpoint, it seems like the sun is the one that's changing. Sometimes it's like that with God. We feel like he's changing, he's moving differently. He maybe isn't the same, but it's us that is the one that changes, not him. In fact, he can't, because if he's perfect, he can't change for the better, he can't improve upon perfection, And if he's perfect, he can't change for the worse, because then he wouldn't be perfect. It's not within his nature to change. And we have a lot of trouble with that, because we change in all kinds of ways all the time. Let's start with the physical. You know you are actually not the same you you were 10 years ago? (laughs) That's a crazy thought. Like I'm talking like at a cellular level. Almost all of your cells, except for a few spots, like your brain, with your brain you get what you get, you don't get upset, it doesn't change, doesn't become new, but the rest of your cells are totally different. You're literally physically a new person. We change, sometimes maybe we realize we can't do things we used to do. I didn't know, when you turn 30, you can seriously injure yourself in your sleep. (laughs) I had no clue, the person after Bethany, of course, who would know me so intimately is Dr. Kyle, my Cairo. And that's a real part of life. We change physically, but not only physically, our interests, our opinions, our likes and dislikes. I got married and my wife told me I just don't like certain things anymore. I had no idea that would happen. (laughs) The way you see the world, so many things change in our life. Not only about you, but what happens around you, what happens to you. Job situations can change pretty quick. Sickness can happen pretty quick. Our health can change, our health of loved ones can change. Big decisions certainly change as we age, right? One minute you're scared to go to grade nine and the next you're scared to graduate university. Maybe you're nervous about a first date and then soon enough you're nervous walking down an aisle. Big things changes, big things change. Family dynamics certainly can change and all of these can change for the better or the worse. They can be easier or they can be more difficult but our life is full of change and this verse says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever and that's great news, past, present, future. That means the Jesus of the distant past to us, the Jesus of the Gospels, is the same. Meaning the Jesus who's preaching and teaching and healing and multiplying food and opening blind eyes and dying on a cross not to stay dead but raise again and ascending in glory, he's still that Jesus. Even further back, we know Jesus didn't just poof and appear in a manger. The Bible would say he's preexistent. He was there at the beginning. He's actually involved in creation and holds the universe together. He's still that. Meaning in your life, your situation, he is holding everything together still the same. That's incredible news. But also in your life, in the more recent past, he's the same. That means when you were experiencing grief a few years ago, your comforter then was him, he's still that comfort for you today. The one who was your guide in the tough decisions of a number of years ago is still your guide today. The one who provided for you when you lost your job six months ago maybe, 
He's still your provider of your needs today. The one who you encountered as a savior, maybe when you were 16, came to the front at a youth conference, he's still that for you today. It's amazing. And then it says forever. And forever is a long time. Forever is tomorrow, and forever is a million years from now. <laughs> and that's good news because the, the future is very scary and uncertain. Will there be a COVID resurgence? People talking about World War III. How about all the personal changes that might be going on in my life that I have to make decisions about tomorrow? I'm gonna have to reach teenage girls one day. That is terrifying things that we face in the future. And the Jesus that leads us into the unknown of tomorrow is the same one who's been with us through all the steps through our whole life if we followed him for a while and for all saints who have followed him for the last 2,000 years. There's a lot of comfort in that. Because nothing could be as destructive to us as if he changed. If he loved you deeply yesterday, and maybe only a little today, that'd be troubling. If he had a plan for the history of the world yesterday, and not today, that would be bad news. Be like if gravity disappeared for us. Everything would crumble, and yet it doesn't, because he doesn't change. And this is why the author said in Hebrews 6, we have a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul, because he doesn't change. An anchor that shifts, moves, changes, moves with the boat, isn't much of an anchor, and yet he is unchanging. Okay, I hope you're still with me. We lead into verse nine, and this is the problem. People often try to suggest that Jesus does change. His nature, maybe his words, change. People suggest things like, man, this Old Testament God seems one way, and then this Jesus dude mellows things out, he's got long hair in the New Testament, and it seems like a big change. Maybe many other questions, but it says, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. So if he doesn't change, we should be pretty wary of people that try to suggest uh, his words should be adapted or that his nature has changed, right? And we try to change him all the time. We try to bring him with us as culture changes or as we personally change. Maybe there's a lot of phases you've been through in your life, right? When people talk about me, they might be talking about little elementary school Scott. They might be talking about awkward high school Scott. You probably have an awkward phase in there too, don't judge. Maybe they're talking about floppy hair Van Halen loving Scott or skeptic Scott or wannabe doctor Scott or youth pastor Scott or dad and husband Scott. There's many phases we go through. Jesus doesn't have that. There's not a new model of him every year, right? There's not like a 1975 Jesus who's really uh, serious about sin and his own glory and then 2022 Jesus, who some would have you believe is pretty flexible on truth and he's a lot less of a prude. They would wanna bring him with us the way we move and change and the way our values maybe move and change as a culture. It's not how it works. So what are these diverse and strange teachings for them? You see some mention of food. We can kind of infer that this is talking about dietary laws that are, they're trying to bring from Judaism kind of connected into the Christian faith saying you gotta avoid certain things, you gotta eat certain things. So that's for them, but for us, diverse and strange teachings can be all kinds of stuff. I hear things like people say to me like, well, this part of the Bible doesn't seem super reliable, so we can take certain parts only as inerrant and not others. Some people I know will say, doesn't matter if Jesus actually died on the cross for sin, what if it was just a nice story to paint a picture of love for us? Maybe some people will say the Bible just kind of doesn't get it on modern sexual ethics, so we'll take those pieces out that's from another day. 
Maybe they'll say, how could a loving God ever send anyone to hell? Or like one popular author today would say, the Bible is just a book about what it means to be human. All kinds of strange and diverse teachings uh, flourish in our world. And the problem is we're really prone to believe them and be carried away, like it says, because it's not usually an atheist professor, a witch, or a Satanist who comes and brings these things to you. Usually it's someone who you think you can trust, and usually it's something that seems wrapped in truth. A little bit of Bible clothed around the outside so we don't uh, see it right away and we need discernment. If we're going to recognize a lie, we need to know what truth is, right? We need discernment. Children don't have discernment. I don't know if you've realized that like we have in our house, but they will eat for a certain time of life, hopefully only, anything. Anything that looks appealing will be ingested. They don't think about, is this real? Is this good for me? In any way, they just think this must go in, okay? And I remember one time we caught our oldest daughter eating from our plants in the house. Like, eating dirt, eating those little fertilizer balls, like dipping Dots, just throwing them back. And when I confronted her, I said, are you, are you eating something you shouldn't be? And she's got like, lips that are really black, and she's like, no, not at all. <laughs> but I knew she's eating this thing because it appeals, it looks appealing. It's not good food to her benefit in any way. There's no discernment going on there. We must have discernment when we look at things. Is this just appealing? Is this actually legit? Is this good for me? And if we don't know Jesus, if we don't know his word, how will we ever recognize when someone is distorting it? That's a really important thing to think about. Do I know him and his word well? It says it's good to be strengthened by grace, meaning an understanding of the real way that God interacts with us, the real gospel, not based on behavior, rather than food, which is of no benefit to those who are devoted to it. Think about the people that you know who have maybe followed diverse and strange teachings, the benefit that that has been to them versus the strengthening of grace to our hearts. Anyone that I've experienced who has followed diverse and strange teachings, it usually leads to a few things. Instead of a life, an outcome worth imitating, it yields confusion, it yields an ever-growing distance with the Lord, an ever-cold heart to Him, and usually more and more becoming like the world where it's hard to tell which is which anymore. Time after time, what is the benefit of that? And so we need to be careful to not be carried away. We've got to remain closely connected to unchanging Jesus. Okay, verse 10 says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. So something that was an accusation against Christians for those who practiced the temple system and followed the Jewish law was, hey, you don't even have an altar. And our author here is saying, yeah, we do, and it's one which the people who would follow the temple system and the law and these food teachings have no right to, and our altar as Christians is the cross of Christ, where the perfect sacrifice for sin, like Neil was talking about, was laid on this altar. Anyone who would follow a rules-based religion or any way of earning favor with God by eating certain things has no right to that. It's based on grace, like he says, we're strengthened by. And this is what Jesus has done for us. He would sacrifice himself, the only one who could pay a debt that we could never, to bring us forgiveness, to bring us back into right relationship with God if we would turn from our sins, surrender our lives to him, and put our trust in him. And so our question today is, is that something that you've done? Do you know him? 
Do you know him? Because just like he is unchanging, the offer, like we just described, is unchanging. It's not subject to change in the terms and conditions. The offer of forgiveness and right relationship with him is the same for you today as it was 2,000 years ago when he first raised. And so do you know him? Have you ever made that step of giving your life to Jesus? If not, think honestly, why? Why have I not? Maybe today's the day. Yesterday was the best day to do it. Today's the next best day. And we would love any of our pastoral staff here to talk to you about what it would mean for you to have a trust in this Jesus who never changes. And if you're here and you do believe in him, we're excited about that. We really love that. And for us who do, maybe we can be reminded of the fact that what he's accomplished on the cross for us is unchanging. That means from the moment you put your faith in him, even if you were 16 years old, your salvation is no less secure today, the forgiveness he offered you then is no less real today, the plan that he has for your life is no less meaningful today than it was then, and the intimacy with him that's available is no less close than it was then. It's just as real and lasting today. And so may we be encouraged by the fact that even though I didn't maybe spend enough time with him last week, even though I fell back into that sin a year ago that had beset me so many times and I said was the last time, his forgiveness and love for me is unchanging. And what he's accomplished on my behalf is unchanging. So that one day when I stand before the throne and the Father looks at me, he will see me as holy and blameless, not because of my righteousness, but because of Jesus who stands in the gap on my behalf. May we be encouraged as we go out today, guys, that while life is a swirling mess of chaos and everything is changing and we are always changing, there is one that is not, never changes and it's Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Help us to know you well and to know your word well so that we can recognize when it's being distorted. Thank you that in a world that is filled with scary things in the future and so many unknowns uh, where we change so many times through our life and the things that happen to us change every day that we have you as a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul who never changes, Lord. Help us to remember that the Jesus we read about on these pages is the same today and the one who's been with us through so many things over our lifetime uh, leads us into the unknown. We're so, so grateful for that. I pray for anyone here today, Lord, that doesn't yet know you, that you may be working in hearts. Uh, give them the courage to come forward and ask for um, the help to figure out more about who you are and what it could mean for them to put their trust in the Jesus who is unchanging. We pray this in your name. Amen. So good to be with you guys. Have a great day. You are loved, Laura.